welcome to Rhetoric O-Rama, a podcast about all things rhetoric. Here are your hosts, Dr. David R. Dewberry and Dr. Tim, as seen on TV, McGee. I'm Dave. I'm Tim. And today we continue our first season of Rhetoric O-Rama by discussing the wonderful world of rhetoric. Today's topic is the power and the mystery of stasis. But first, let's hear some untranslated Latin or Greek to get us started. Diplun horosen hoi mathantos gramata. That reminds me to go see an eye doctor, Tim. So, Tim, what is stasis? Good question. Etymologically speaking, it comes from the word for stand or stick or stoppage. Imagine two people arguing back and forth before they eventually settle on the sticking point, the crux of the matter, if you will. A related notion of stasis is found in forensic settings, such as on the TV show Law and Order, when the DA decides to go with the charge of man too, because he would not be able to get a charge of murder or voluntary manslaughter to stick. It's mm, a lot of use of the word stick in there, Tim. It is. All right. So before we beat this to death any further, huh? All right. So we got Hermagoras of Timnos, right? So don't confuse him with Hermogenes of Tarsus. Absolutely you not. You do not that. want to make that mistake. So many Never. people. So many people made that mistake. He was the uh, most prominent rhetorical philosopher in the Hellenistic period, was he not, Tim? He was. And what did he do? Well, one of the things he did was he gave speakers a uh, system for determining the issue or point that they should make in their speeches before a court. The sticking point, right? Indeed. Okay. And so while his works have been lost, right, scholars have been able to piece his work together from uh, Cicero, right? Because Cicero is the man. He is. Now, he's an important link between Athens and Rome. As we mentioned earlier, the first rhetoricians came to Athens from Sicily in the 5th century BCE. Uh-huh. Hermagoras travels from Athens to Rome in the 1st century BCE and influences the two biggest names in Roman rhetoric, Cicero and Quintilian. How interestingly, they disagreed about him. The parts of Hermagoras that Cicero accepts, Quintilian rejects, and vice versa. Who do you think would fight this out? Uh, I don't know. I'd say Cicero is uh, he's, he's, he's he going to win. He would take him in a second, right? Indeed. Given his, uh, his record. Yep. All right. So stasis, right? So stasis is singular. Stasis, stasis singular. Is singular. Stasis, plural. plural. Bingo. All right. And so there are four, right? Indeed. The first one is it's about a fact, right? The Stacy effect. Yeah. Right. And so uh, one of the things that's interesting, we hear people now talking about facts matter. We may have entered sort of a post-truth world where facts don't matter. But back in the day, facts seemed to matter. So one of the first things you want to do is say, is there really a problem or an issue? Uh-huh. Or did it happen? Or can it happen? Or is it happening? How did it begin and what are its causes? Can it be changed? And this the, is for, for the courts, right? Indeed. Mainly. So, yep. But uh, while we may not use this in the courts, we can still find this stuff useful, right? Uh-huh. Climate change. Climate. Is it happening? Is it happening? I don't know. Is and it? what are the causes? I don't know. What about um, cheeseburgers? Cheeseburgers. Where was the cheeseburger invented, Tim? Do you know? Well, I could say that it was invented in Hamburg, Germany. What See, would you say? I would... Uh, it was invented in the United States at Louis Lunch in New Haven, Connecticut, as recognized by the Library of Congress. And I'm not making that up. But now one of the questions is, what is the authority of the Library of Congress to determine that? That's for a different date. All right. You know that. All right. And so when we're talking about a fact, whether something is uh, going on or has gone on or will go on in the future, right? Uh, the issue here is about conjecture. What is conjecture, Tim? Oh, that's where you're just kind of making a guess. Right. So uh, a, a statement of fact would not be 
George Washington, or I should say Stacy's effect, would not be that George Washington was our first president. No. Well, yeah, George Washington was our first That's president. That's a fact. That's fact, a fact. Right? So it's not necessarily arguing that there's no conjecture there, right? There's no. no that. So it's about something we're uncertain of. Yes. Climate change, can we be certain of? Uh, some people say they're ask, certain yeah. of it, and uh, then you can say, well, for every 99 people who say one thing about it, then there's one person who says the other thing, and so then you get into questions of statistical yeah. uh, certainty. It's like that one dentist who doesn't recommend that toothpaste on the commercial, right? Yeah. There's always one. But that's the sticking point, right? Mm -hmm. And so that makes it why we have the debates. Indeed. All right, beautiful. So do you have another example of a Stacey's effect? Um, no, do you? I don't know. <laughs> do I? What else is going on? Um, something that happened, you're charged of a crime. Did you oh, okay. actually commit the crime? Well, that's... And did I really engage in petty theft this morning? I did not. <laughs> so, there, and then there's also the issue of, was it a crime? You know, that thing that you took, was it a crime for you to take it? Mm, that's true, right? And that leads us to the stasis of definition, right? Mm. So what is the stasis of definition, Tim? Well, definition is an interesting thing. So uh, what exactly is the problem or issue? How are we going to define it? So if a it? problem or issue has happened yes. under the stasis yeah. effect, we now have to figure out what to call it. Indeed. Right? So what exactly is the problem? What is the, uh, what kind of it? What kind of category is it? Mm -hmm. uh, what are its parts? Yeah. One of the classic examples, Tim, we have the hamburger. Yes. And then we have a sandwich. Yes. But people call it a fish sandwich. Yes. Why don't they call it a fish burger? Uh, I mean, a burger is a piece of meat between two buns, is it not? And well, you just said it was fish. It's fish meat. Well, it's fish <laughs> meat, right? And so why isn't it called a fish burger? Uh, I think some people do call it a fish burger. Some people call it a filet fish Well, see, that's just ridiculous, right? That's that's name brand, right? So, but we have to get into this issue of definition, and it's really important, right? It is. So uh, your example of law and order earlier, was it manslaughter? Was it murder? Mm -hmm. What exactly is this? Is the taking of somebody's life can be defined different ways. Indeed. Right? If a soldier does it on the, uh, on the battlefield, it's an act of heroism. If you do it in self-defense, mm -hmm. that's allowed. Yeah. And uh, here's a nice example. This is a real example. This happened in 2006 in Massachusetts. Are you ready for this, Tim? I am. So there was a sandwich shop that opened up in a mall in Massachusetts, and they signed a contract that said no other sandwich shops can be in this mall. Well, you know what happened later? What? A burrito shop opened up. Oh, is a burrito and a sandwich? And so that court, right? So the sandwich shop sued the mall saying that burrito is a sandwich. Mm. And do you know what the judge ruled, Tim? He said, no way. He, the judge ruled, and I quote, a sandwich is not commonly understood to include burritos, tacos, and quesadillas, which are typically made with a single tortilla and stuffed with a choice of filling of meat, rice, and beans. That's a wise judge. That is a wise judge. You don't need Judge Judy on that one. A burrito is not a sandwich. We I'm should take them. that to the Supreme Court. All right. So after the stasis of definition comes... The stasis of quality. What is that, Tim? Was it good or bad? How serious was the problem or issue? Was it a serious problem? Is this really serious, the burrito debate? Uh, it, to the man who did not want any competition with the sandwich shop, he uh -huh. thought it was very serious. Climate change seems to be pretty serious. A lot of people think it's pretty serious. Things mm -hmm. are just burning up and falling apart, and uh, our uh, survival might be threatened. People you know, find if, I can, if I can put this car in reverse and go back to the stasis of definition, 
you know, they changed it. We used to call it global warming, mm-hmm. right? And now yeah. we call it climate change. Yeah. And so is that change of definition a good thing or a bad thing? Well, and one of the things is which is more accurate. Mm-hmm. So indeed, uh, the climate is changing, and indeed, the, the globe seems to be warming. And so the people who wanted to move away from global warming to climate change, mm-hmm. I think we're trying to get it to feel like, well, this is just a natural thing. It happens. It gets colder. It gets warmer. Humans are not the cause of and, this. And the idea that if you focus on the global warming, you're talking about this, what's going on right now, mm-hmm. and it does seem to be going in one direction, which is warmer and warmer, and uh, possibly too warm. All right. So, uh, stasis quality is something's good or bad or any other right subjective assessment mm-hmm. uh, worthy, not yes. worthy. Indeed, any value terms. And one of the ways I like to think about the stasis of quality is if you take a definitional argument mm-hmm. and just add a value term. So, a definitional argument says the baconator is a hamburger, but a value argument says the Baconator is an excellent hamburger. Mm -hmm. So the addition of a value term to a definitional argument turns it into a value argument or a stasis of quality argument. You know, one of the ways I was was taught to uh, check this is if you add the phrase is good or bad Mm -hmm. to the end of the uh, uh, stasis and it's redundant, that's a stasis of quality. If it's not redundant, it's a stasis of definition. So when you say the Baconator is an excellent hamburger, and that is good or bad, mm-hmm. that's redundant, right? It is. But if you were to say the Baconator is a hamburger and that's good, that's not redundant. Okay. Right? How about that? I'll buy it. <laughs> I would buy the Baconator as well. All right. What's the last ones, Tim? Stasis of jurisdiction. What, if anything, should we do about this? What official procedures should we do? Who should be involved in helping to solve the problem or address the issue? What should be done about this problem? What needs to happen to solve the problem and address the issue? And this, right, so don't forget this was a, uh, this idea came about through the courts. So if somebody was found to have committed a crime, the crime was defined, mm-hmm. we were said it was a bad thing, you could respond to saying stasis of jurisdiction to say, well, we should do something different. Maybe the court is not the right place. Maybe a drug treatment center. Yeah. Maybe getting a, maybe a, getting a help for this person rather than punishment. Yeah. Or, or maybe not this court. A or maybe court. it can't be heard in this court because we can't find unbiased uh, witnesses, unbiased uh, jurors. Mm-hmm. So what should we do? Uh, but outside the courtroom, how can we use this? Well, um, I think there are just big issues about uh, sort of policy proposal, uh-huh. you know, what we ought to do. The earth and, is heating up. Yeah. It's, we're calling it global warming. That's a bad thing. What should we do about this? Exactly. Exactly. Right? We should and, disagree with science and just do what we want. Yeah. Now, uh, so what you've got here are sort of the four stases that uh, Hermagoras would have offered up. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, one of the two of my favorite contemporary rhetoricians are Ramage and Bean, authors of the highly successful college composition text, Writing Arguments. Uh-huh. And what they do is they call these things categories of claims. So in addition to the ones that you have listed, they add some others, including uh, uh, resemblance arguments, also known as argument from analogy, or causal arguments, and policy or proposal arguments, which closely resemble the jurisdiction stasis. Mm-hmm. So uh, in addition to maybe a four-part, there's, I think, room for a five, six, or seven-part division mm-hmm. of putting it in a box that helps you determine the approach that you ought to take. In the argument, right? So some fine points on this. Um, sticking with the four, mm-hmm. right, or five, six, whatever it might be, uh, for Hermogoras, they were uh, 
they were successive, right? Yes. So you had to go in that order, right? If you were right. in a court of law, you had to prove that first something happened mm-hmm. before you can define this manslaughter mm-hmm. or murder, whatever yeah. the guys might be. And, and you can't argue that something is a good hamburger without first establishing that it is a hamburger. Yes, right? Because if I try to say your hat was a delicious hamburger, mm-hmm. that's just ridiculous. It is. Right? We're not going to debate that. So they're built on each other um, and ultimately to what we should do. Right, but if there was no controversy, right, there was no sticking point. There's no debate. No, no debate. There's no debate because there is no there is no sticking point. And if two sides can't come to agreement, even on where the sticking point is, the whole system will break down. Yeah, and they talk about people sort of uh, talking past each other mm-hmm. or arguing past each other. If you have agreed upon what is the stasis of the debate, then I say something and you say, no, that's not true, or you make some other claim directly relating to what Mm -hmm. I said. Whereas if I say something and then you make something unrelated to it, we haven't really met on any stasis for this Mm -hmm. particular argument. And some people have claimed, uh, and some people argue, that that issue is indicative of the abortion debate, Mm. right? So uh, what is life? Mm -hmm. Is this life? is an unborn uh, uh, fetus life. Yes. Right? And then there's the question of which life is more valuable, the mm-hmm. life of the unborn fetus. And what fetus should we do, right? So all those are, are, are misaligned, right? Mm-hmm. They're not lining up. And so that's why uh, that's a difficult debate because it it's hard to even engage in it. Yes. Right? What's your take-home point, Tim? Uh, my take-home point is that we can think of stasis theory as a heuristic device, a tool for finding or discovering arguments. Like any theory... A word which comes from the Greek theorine is a way of seeing. But if I may quote some words of wisdom that Dr. Dewberry shared in episode two. Please do. Any method includes both strengths and weaknesses. Stasis theory gives us a guide to examine rhetoric and its construction, but it is also limiting because it focuses our attention on certain things and does not focus on other things. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's nice that you brought in those extra, the five, six, and seven. This sounds like a dance number, right? to this. I would say my take on point, this theory is uh, prescriptive and descriptive, right? Okay. So if uh, I'm sitting there listening to a debate or arguing with somebody about something, I can think in my mind, what's the issue or the sticking point? Is it that I did not unload the dishwasher or is it something else, Uh right? Or is picking up uh, around the house, is that called cleaning up? Mm -hmm. Is that a good thing that I did that or a bad thing that I did that? Maybe I put something away I was not supposed to put something away. Put it in the wrong place. I never put things in the wrong place. I'm very tidy. All right. Tim. Yes. Are you ready for a challenge? I am. My challenge to you is, and you might have already answered this, but if you could add, no, if you could remove one stasis, stasis, which one would you remove? All right, I'm going to stick limit myself to the four that uh, you listed from Hermagoras, and I would say we cannot get rid of fact or definition or quality. So I'm going to say jurisdiction. You're going to get rid of jurisdiction. I'm going to get rid of jurisdiction, and again, that's going to be sort of a wrong thing to do if we are in a true forensic situation. Mm-hmm. But I think jurisdiction is it has too many subparts mm-hmm. to be a good category in and of itself. Would you recommend breaking it up into smaller sections? I would, and so I would go for Isn't that interesting that you just used the stasis of jurisdiction to answer that question? <laughs> wow. Is that ironic? That is. All right. Do you have a challenge for me, Tim? I do, Dave. Okay, so if you think of either four or five different categories of claims, uh-huh. um, I want you to rank them. And you can either rank them on how hard they are to make or how 
persuasive they are for an audience. You can do it for both of them. but How hard so, they are to make. Yeah, so, so which of those is the most difficult kind of argument to make and which is the easiest? I would say the hardest one, because uh, there's two sides on each one, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I would say it would be very hard for somebody arguing against a fact that did not happen. Okay. When you because ha how can you argue something's not happening? There mm -hmm. is no evidence for that. Right. Right. Because the burden of proof is on the other person. Okay. Which I guess could explain why our legal system, in terms of the uh, grand jury, right, where only the prosecutor presents evidence. Okay. As uh, uh, is not maybe the best it could be. So I'd say that would be a very hard argument to make. Um, on the other hand, I think a very hard argument to make would be for jurisdiction because. What we should do about something is so complex, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so many opportunities, but that's also, you know, if you, if you go to a store and there's only two products to pick from, it's very easy to make a choice. But if you have a million ways to go, yeah. that can be very difficult and get people on the same page. Yeah. Um, I would say that's difficult. But I would also say the hardest one would be that something is good or bad outside of a legal context. Okay. Because what's good for you yes. might be bad for me. Right. Right, um, that's what I would say. So, in any order, I would say I would put them in that order. We good? We're good. Now it's time for the bonus content. Will it be a fallacy, a historical anecdote, or rhetorical device? Let's have Dr. Tim spin the wheel. Here we go. Okay, we've landed on fallacy. So, Tim. Our fallacy is the appeal to definition, and that is when you use a dictionary's limited definition of some word or whatever it might be as evidence that that term, whatever it is, cannot have any other meaning, right? So it's like the, the you commit this fallacy when you look in a dictionary and say, that's the only meaning that word can have. Right? Yes. Why is that a fallacy? Well, uh, it's a fallacy because dictionaries don't reason. They simply are a reflection of an abbreviated version of the current accepted usage of a term as determined through argumentation and eventual acceptance. Okay. And so can you give me an example? Uh, well, there's an interesting example in terms of uh, the United States versus Microsoft Corporation in uh -huh. 2001. So uh, we have a, a consensual agreement of what is a monopoly. A monopoly has dominant market share. It engages in predatory pricing and it stifles competition. And so one of the things that the United States was able to do was use a deductive syllogism mm -hmm. that says Microsoft meets all the criteria for a monopoly and therefore they're going to be required to decouple Internet Explorer from the Windows operating system because we have uh, laws that say they're not allowed to uh, engage in those sort of monopolistic practices. Mm -hmm. But there could be other definitions for that as well, right? Indeed. Before we go and get some cheeseburgers, we got to take care of some business. Who's sponsoring this episode? Today's episode is sponsored by Teleria's Sandals. One of the many things that give you the tip-top feeling is the pleasure of being well-dressed. And when it comes to shoes, there is nothing better than Teleria's Sandals. From heel to toe, Teleria's Sandals have the quality that will impress. The carefully molded shape of the Colthurnus and the richness of the genuine all-fur lining of the Oscari will bring you comfort all day. They come in a variety of subtle colors and shapes. So real. No, so next time you pass a Telaria sandal shop or authorized dealer, stop in and try them. Because once you wear Telaria sandals, you'll agree that Telaria sandals are outstanding values and you'll understand why they are the footwear choice of Hermes. I'm 
David R. Dewberry. And I am Tim, as seen on TV, McGee. And we are professors of communication at Ryder University. And this has been Rhetoric Rama, a podcast about all things rhetoric. We'd like to thank our British voiceover artist, and we'd like to thank our musical director, Tom Santiago. Rhetoric Rama is recorded at Casto Di Pato Studios. If you have any questions or are looking for more information, you can contact us via our website, rhetoric.fun, or consult your local library. Now let's get some cheeseburgers. Okay, Tim. Or should we go for cheesesteaks? Having recently heard a person with some expertise opine that Casto de Pato Studios is a stone's throw away from the purveyor of the best cheesecake in the Delaware Valley, we probably ought to test the validity of that stasis of quality argument. What? <laughs>